Get more time to listen to yours truly by going to Shell and getting three things done at once. First, fill up with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus. Then, save up with the Fuel Rewards Program. Finally, snack up to save even more at the pump. Make the most of the stop you need to make with Shell. LeBron James pulled off some pretty incredible things in Game 2. Check this out. 35 years old and still getting up like that. That's incredible. That's incredible. That freeze frame, he had his head above the rim, shoulders at the backboard. Like, it's incredible what he's doing in year 17. Yeah, it is pretty wild. There's no question about what he's pulling off here, man. We haven't seen very many people play this way at this stages of their career. I don't think there's any doubt. He's still above, he's getting above that square. Hey, he's (laughs) taking it personal to block Russell's shots as hard as he possibly can. Oh, no doubt. Every time he can. Absolutely. As hard as he can. It seems like it, right? Like the volleyball swats. For sure. Happy Labor Day and welcome into the jump. I'm George Sedano in for our fearless leader, Rachel Nichols. Today I'm joined by a couple of NBA champs. We got Matt Barnes over here, who is the co-host of Showtime's All the Smoke podcast. And the 2008 Finals MVP, the truth, Paul Pierce. So coming up. We've got uh, a number of things to get into, including Giannis Antetokounmpo's injured ankle and the update there as the Bucks get set for Game 5 tomorrow after staving off elimination in Game 4 without their MVP. Mm. We'll discuss if Giannis should play and why the Bucks seem to be playing better without him. But first, let's get back to the Lakers. Won 117-109 in Game 2 over the Rockets. LeBron had 28 points, 11 rebounds, and 9 assists. Anthony Davis added 34 points and 10 boards and also got some big contributions off the bench from Markeith Morris, Rajon Rondo, and Kyle Kuzma. After the game, Frank Vogel, speaking about James, said, we are at our best when he's in attack mode. So, Paul, what's your biggest takeaway from the Lakers? That's exactly it. When LeBron is assertive at the beginning of the game, he sets the tone for his team. And we've seen that in every playoff series. They lose game one because he's passive. He comes out in the game two. He's aggressive. He has 18 in the first half. And he sets the tone for his team. I don't think it matters what Anthony Davis does in a game. He can have 30 every night. But it's all about LeBron being aggressive. When When he scores 30 points... The Lakers are 23-1. and one. I mean, come on. He should just go in every game like, look, I'm about to get 30. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's year 17, and like I said, we're still very impressed with what he's doing, but it's it, it, that's a grind every single night to get 30 is tough. What I like and what I took away is I love Rondo on the court with him. Yes. Because it takes so much pressure off LeBron having to score and make plays for everyone else. Rondo is out there being – Paul knows Rondo's a quarterback out there. He's getting people in positions. I see they're running that 1-3, I guess that is, with LeBron at the three pick and roll. So I think uh, Rondo's decision-making and just grittiness on defense really helps this Laker team out there. But I agree, LeBron has to be in attack mode um, for them to win. Speaking of Rondo, though, Matt, I'll start with you. I I feel like the issue with him in recent years has been consistency, right? As he's getting older in age, there hasn't – you know, you can see one of these games once every three, four, five games – how much more does he need to give them as far as consistency? I, I, it, to, it, to me, it's really, really not even about the numbers with him. It's just his management and leadership out there on the yes. court. I mean, you're going to live with him missing a couple threes, but he makes the right play nine out of ten times. He knows how to play passing lanes. He can guard James Harden. He gets everyone organized. And like I said, the most important thing he does is he takes that pressure off LeBron having to make a play for 
everyone on the court all the time, along with us wanting him to score 30 points. Yeah, you're exactly right, man. It's not about Rondo's numbers. He can go out there, have 10, 5 points, and he can really change the game. What I saw out there, he changed the pace of that game. Absolutely. You know, it's a different pace out there than when Rondo's at the one of LeBron. You know, LeBron pushes it at times, but Rondo, he's going to pick up full court. He's going to push the ball every single time. And the good thing, he's knocking down open shots, too. You know, he's starting to look like Jason Kidd when he got older. You know, <laughs> early in his career, you remember, it was like Jason Kidd couldn't really shoot. Then he became a, a deadly spot-up shooter. We're starting to see that in Rondo. And he changed the pace on offense with the way he pushes and his defense. Well, the key is to guard him, right? Like, to just make Honor him, him yeah, live enough where they have to guard him. And they're sure. doing that. They definitely have to do that. Yeah. And, look, the Lakers got a lot of contributions off the bench yesterday besides Rajon Rondo. Marquise Morris had a big yes. game. Kyle Kuzma yes. had a big game. How important is it for the bench, Matt, to they're get They're going to need that. I think every night the Lakers are going to need at least 60 between Braun and um, AD. And then they're going to need someone off the bench to come and play well. Um, I think Kyle Kuzma could be that guy. Obviously, Mor um, Morris was last night. But Kuzma can do the small things. He's so accustomed to getting a bunch of touches and a bunch of looks in previous years, and I think he's really had to adjust his game at the older he's got and understand that he can do the hustle stuff and still get 16 and 10 every night. And I think his ability to run the floor, there's not a person on Houston that can keep him off the offensive glass. Right. To him to be a dog on defense, the small things he does, when he touches the ball, he won't feel like he has to really, he'll be in rhythm already. And I think he's going to be a very important key because they're going to need either him Caldwell Pope, or if it's going to be Morris to be that third kind of wild card, third option by committee that they're going to need to move forward. Yeah, Rondo's going to be continue to be the key for that group because they don't have a guy that you can say, here, take the ball and carry the offense, make a play one-on-one. -on -one. So Rondo's out there making plays for these guys. That's why you see Morris get a yes. lot of open shots. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see Kuzma get uh, driving lanes because of that. So he's an intricate part to that second unit, and they're going to have to use him 20 to 25 minutes a night because that's going to be key. Paul, AD looked more active, I thought, yesterday. I felt like he settled for a lot of mid-range stuff in game one. He still hit plenty of those shots, but he was more active around the rim. What did you make of the difference between game one and game two? Yeah, I mean, he was aggressive. He took advantage of his size. They posted him up. They saw the mismatch. Yeah, you know, you get a little frustrated when he takes these jumpers on these small guys, but the thing is, he's making them. Right. And now, when they get up on him and try to take the jumper away, he's attacking to the rim. And so, he's a problem for them. He's going to go out there and get 25 and 30 that night. And we saw that in game one. But it's all on LeBron. Like yeah. I said, he has to get 30. We know AD is going to get his. LeBron has to be aggressive. I want AD to be just mean, meaner. And I don't know right. if that's in him. Yeah. Because when he decides that I don't care who's guarding me, big or small, you're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop him. I think he heard everyone saying how good of a job P.J. Tucker, which he did in the initial game, played defense on him. But there's no one when AD has his mindset that no matter what, I'm either going to get to the basket or get to my spot. No one's going to stop me. And I, I want to see more of that AD because I think that takes less pressure off Braun. He's going to stay fresher longer throughout the playoffs. To your point, we saw some of that in the Portland series, too, where people were wondering, hey, he needs to be more assertive in that spot. Speaking of someone who's not assertive, we'll go over to the Houston side. But we got to talk about Russell Westbrook and his struggles. Last night, Westbrook had 10 points and 13 rebounds, but he shot 4 of 15 and committed 7 turnovers. Here's Russ after the game being brutally honest about his performance. Yeah, I don't know. I just, right now I'm just running around. So I got to look at film and figure out how to be effective. Some is my fault, some are missed calls. Um, but you know, it's on me. I don't, I, don't, I don't point fingers at nobody else in my own game. I own my mistakes, I own what I do. Um, and that's that. 
Matt, how worried should anyone be about Russ's play right now? I think Russell figured out, but I just think as great as he's been, the numbers he's put up, how historical he's been in the context of the game, his next evolution is understanding the pace of play and changing his pace of play. Russ has always been a guy that we've marveled at because he's probably the most athletic, strongest, fastest point guard we've ever seen, and he's used that to dominate this NBA, but as the injuries start to pile up, as he starts to get a little bit older, the next evolution in this game is being able to change speeds and pick and choose in his spots and really letting the game come to him because even when he scores, sometimes it's still nasty or almost looks forced because he's just, he ended up getting it because he is so athletic and uh, strong. But when he takes just a step back, maybe downshift a little bit and understand pick and choose his positions, he's still one of the best out there. Yeah, I think he just has to go back to understanding who he is. Because when I watched these last two games, he settled. He shot too many threes. When Westbrook was dominating middle of the season, he stopped shooting the three. Mm -hmm. He was going to the basket. He was like, right here. He was open. Take a couple dribbles and go to your mid-range or try to attack the basket. That's when he's at his best. So he has to understand who he is. I'm not concerned about his shooting because that comes and goes. But he has to not be sloppy with the ball. Yes. If he just has two turnovers last night, I truly believe Houston Rockets win. Yeah. I truly believe. And as good as he's been, it's almost scary sometimes down the stretch when you see the ball in his hands if you're a Houston Rockets fan because, you know, the one game where you thought that James would have the ball, obviously Russ ran and threw the ball out of bounds in, you know, the last 10 seconds of the game. So, like I said, he's been historically one of the best point guards we've ever seen. But I just think now it's mental and understanding his age and his body and where he's at and just that next step in his game is just downshifting a little bit. Another thing you have to wonder is, is this injury affecting yes. him? Mm -hmm. You know, he dealt with a quad, yep. you know, coming off. It's hard to go back from zero to 100 in the middle of a playoff run right. when you miss a couple weeks of basketball. So he's starting to find his rhythm. Maybe the injuries bother him. That's what I said. Pick his spots, but he can control his turnovers. Absolutely. You know, a lot of them are unforced turnovers. Right. So if he can do that, I think the Houston Rockets have a chance. I mean, look, he does have to develop the old man game, right? Everybody gets that point in their career for sure. But, Paul, to your point, in January and February, he toned down the three-point shooting, and he was shooting only about two a game. He was shooting way more than that before that. But look at yesterday as the Lakers basically aren't even guarding him. There's nowhere near anyone near him in that situation. There's a reason. You know, no one even close to him. Like, they want, and it's almost similar to, to what Miami is doing with Giannis. It's fool's gold. You want him to maybe make two, three, or four because that means he's going to take 10, 12, or 13 of them. You know what I mean? So Russ has to find his spots, like Paul said, one of the best, best mid-range shooters in the game. I'm saying from right there, cut. You know what I mean? You cut, right. draw the defense, and either score. Like, I don't know if his quad is well enough to score. I think he is if he's out there. But even if you're not, you're able to make a play for someone else. But there's a reason why they're leaving him wide open, and I think he, he'll, he'll figure that out. And one more thing. As a, as a coach, and I'm pushing against Westbrook, I'm going to ask myself, I'm going to take the lesser of two evils. Do I want Westbrook shooting threes or causing havoc going to the right. basket? Right, right. We'll give him the three. Go ahead. We'll yeah. give you that all day. Because yeah. you can't take away everything. You can't, you can't take, take away, away his everything. full game. You can't take away his paint presence and his outside shooting, so you're going to live with his outside shooting. Absolutely. We'll see how the Rockets evolve for game three. But coming up, you mentioned Giannis. Matt, we'll discuss why the Bucks are putting up better offensive numbers in the series without Giannis on the court and what that means for their chances in game five. Keep it locked to the jump. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and... <laughs> 
I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Fun guy, what's up, baby? What it do, baby? <laughs> make, miss. It's a make or miss league, baby. Let's see. Make breaks Denver up late in the fourth quarter on Saturday. And Jamal Murray. Look at this. Look at this separation right there on Kawhi. Paul, have you ever seen someone get the claw like that? It's hard to get the claw like that. I mean, this guy's been in a nice rhythm all playoffs, though. He's become a superstar right in front of our eyes. I think this has really been his coming out party. And not only this move, but he made a a clutch pivot move underneath the basket where he drew a foul on Paul George as well. It was incredible. So I'm a big fan of Jamal Murray. Yeah, he don't care who in front of him right now. Absolutely not. All right, we move on. Miss excitement. Tie game, 1.9 left. Goran Dragic gets the last shot of the game in the corner and shoots a wedgie. Matt, (laughs) is that the first time you've seen a game-ending wedgie? Yeah, I can't, I can't recall it, especially with the circumstances. I can't recall it, either. but it happens. <laughs> I mean, you should get credit for something there, right? Like, you got to get, get oh, maybe get something like an extra timeout. Absolutely that man, nothing. That man something. Didn't work out for the Heat either as the Bucks took game five. Next, make excitement. JaVale McGee played only eight minutes in this one. But he was the star on the bench. Paul, do we need an ISO cam on JaVale, I think, moving forward? Hey, big fella can't go ankle injury. He's giving his team a lift from the bench with his excitement. That's big right there, I'm telling you, when your bench is out there excited for you. JaVale's always been a great teammate. You watch whatever team he's been on. He's always been cheering for his teammates, which you don't get sometimes with some teams and some players. So you love his energy. Unfortunately, you know he hurt his ankle, so he was doing everything he could to encourage his team and cheer for his team. That's what it is. Be a good teammate. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Next. Miss box scores. Backs to, back to Nuggets Clippers. Jamal Murray navigating through the paint, throws it off of Jokic, who gets it back and lays it in. Mm. Matt, who deserves the assist here? Jokic uh, head, no, uh, big fella's head, right? That, that should be an Jamal assist. Jamal should get a bucket and an assist for himself. <laughs> what about yeah. Yeah. That should be a double whammy. Yeah, that's nice. For sure. That <laughs> He's having great playoffs, as you yes, guys mentioned. Yeah. And the big fella played really well in game two as well. Mm. All right, let's move on. Make ball fakes. Sky Sparks over the WNBA. Candace Parker gets it on the block. And ball fakes the Rook here mm. before finishing in the lane. Pie, Paul, why is she picking on oh the Rook God. like that? Oh, come on. You're talking about one of the greatest WNBA players of all time. You got a rookie guard me for real? Mm. Come on now. They feel That's disrespected. What she said. That's disrespect. Don't throw a rookie on her. But you got to say, Candace I mean, Parker. the older you get, the, you know, getting a chance to play against Paul and Kobe and some of these guys down the stretch, these vet tricks come hand in hand with the game. So oh, yeah. obviously, you know, Candace has a whole bag full of them. <laughs> Paul says she's one of the greatest to ever do it. She's got a couple of bags, <laughs> I think, right. at this oh, point, yeah. no doubt about it. All right, let's move on. The Bucks lost their MVP in the second quarter to an ankle sprain last night, but That didn't stop them from forcing a Game 5. A controversial call, though, late in Game 4 involved Jimmy Butler, who seemed to get fouled here by Eric Bledsoe with 144 left in regulation and the Heat trailing by two points. Coach Spo didn't challenge the play, and the officials couldn't enforce a post-replay foul call. It was obvious there, though, that he was fouled, uh, because that's not an option in the current NBA rulebook. Here's what Jimmy said after the game about that particular call. No. Um... I just got to be stronger with the ball, hold on to the ball. That's fine, uh, you know, on to the next play, and I think we did a great job of that. We just didn't win the game. There was way too many 
things that we did wrong that we just can't let happen. It never comes down to, to that play or, or any other play. I'm cool. We didn't deserve to win that game. We didn't play <laughs> our type of basketball. And that, that play is, is just another play out of so many, you know? They call that foul, whatever. Something else bad probably would happen the way that we were playing tonight. So um, we'll just be better and not have to rely on one call to um, change the game. The NBA's last two-minute report acknowledged today that it was indeed a foul by Bledsoe. Matt, we heard Jimmy say all the right things there, but two questions here for you. How costly was that particular call? And second, how bad is that rule? Yeah, I mean, I hate, I remember as a player, I hated seeing the two-minute report the next day because you knew they blew the call and then they, sometimes they admit it, sometimes they don't admit it, but they admitted it here. Obviously, it was a foul call, but to me, what's the point? We were talking about this before this. What's the point of going to replay if you can't, you know, that was clearly a foul. And like you said, Jimmy said the right things. It's in the rule books. There's no point in arguing or complaining about it, but we don't play anymore. So we can complain. <laughs> What's the point of going back to replay to see who went out on if there's a foul or not, if you can't actually change the circumstances without having to challenge the call? So I think that's something they need to address. Yep. Yeah, I think the whole thing with replay is going back to get the call right. right. Period. I mean, period. I mean, yeah, the ball went out of bounds, but it was clearly a foul. Jimmy Butler said he had to be strong with the ball. But I'm like, how much stronger you could be with the ball when somebody grabs your whole arm yeah. and the ball goes out? That's clearly a foul. So, I mean, something has to be done about this replay situation to where let's just make sure we get the call right. Period. Yeah, I guess the rule states if there's no actual foul call that. on that, they can't go back it. and change that. If Had there been a foul call, like then let's say it would have been, uh, you know, any other call really in that situation, they could have gone back and overturned it. But the refs, to your guys' yeah. point, should have that latitude in that situation. And if you're going to take the time, because like I said, when we, I, I like that they're going to replay and try to get these plays right, but obviously they stop the flow and momentum of the game. So if you're going to stop the whole flow and momentum of the game, at least come back with the right verdict, okay? For they sure. missed the call. It's hard to make every single call. They missed the call, but at least give them the ability to say, okay, hey, I missed the call. The ball is out on Jimmy, but he actually got fouled first. Let's give him his two free throws. If you're going to yeah. go replay yep. and, right there, and waste our time overall, Make sure we get the call right. <laughs> yeah, that should be the goal for sure. Hey, Chris Middleton dropped a playoff career high 36 points in the Bucks win last night after Giannis went down. Obviously, he just took over, basically. He was the centerpiece of the Bucks offense. And looking at the numbers in this series, the Bucks have been surprisingly good when Giannis is off the floor against the Heat. In 119 minutes with Giannis off the court, the Bucks have been outscored by 32 points in comparison uh, when the Bucks have Giannis, or excuse me, when Giannis isn't on the floor, they have outscored the Heat by seven points in 78 minutes. So, Paul, <laughs> how do you explain these numbers that the Heat are just better when Giannis is actually on the floor, the MVP of the league? Well, you got to understand the scouting report for the Heat is designed to stop Giannis. And initially what they do, they give the Giannis the ball and they say, here, big fella, you need to go dominate, get to the basket, make plays for other people. When he's not in the game, they, they move the ball more. There's more ball movement. There's more body movement. There's more cutting. And so if you tell me, this is similar to where how we beat LeBron James in, in early 2000s. We were like, they were like, hey, we scouted, we built a wall around LeBron, and we knew that that's what they want to do. They want to penetrate and find the open shooter. Same here with Giannis. But when the scouting report is not to have Giannis in the lineup, it's like, how do you defend them? Because they're moving the ball, guys are cutting, and they're getting open shots. So it's yeah. a big difference. I mean, I think numbers can be deceiving sometimes to think that the Bucks are better without Giannis. I don't think anyone's saying that. But like Paul said, the whole goal is to wall Giannis up, and Giannis hasn't been able to figure that out yet. And something I pointed out the other day is it's, it always seems like the deeper the Bucks get into the playoffs, and it's crazy to say this about 
last year's MVP and possibly this year's MVP, I think the holes in his offensive games are ex exposed a little bit more. You know what I mean? He, it's either all the way to the basket or they're going to live with him making a couple threes in the game. So, like I said, we, we, we talked about Russ and, and the next step, and the, obviously the next step in Giannis is developing that mid-range and that, you know, that mid-block mid, that mid game that uh, Anthony Davis can use because you're able, when it comes to the playoffs, when you have six or six ga seven games to try to figure someone out you're going to be able to build and, and block him off and you literally take him out of the game somewhat so let's say Giannis doesn't play in game five Paul you alluded to the fact they moved the ball they looked completely different on offense Miami also got a little stagnant it looked like they put the took the foot off the gas a little yeah. bit in that game um what does Miami need to do if Giannis doesn't play defensively well if Miami what they need to do is like, look, this series has to be over. They don't have Giannis. They can't play down to the level because the tendency sometimes with player when your best player doesn't play is like it's going to be a cakewalk. Well, them other guys on the other end are like our best players not playing. We need to play hard as possible to try to get a win. So Miami need to come out with the attitude they had in game one, game two, and say we need to put this series away in dominant fashion, which they can do. And another thing, Paul's always been the best player. So when Paul was out, people like me and other guys like, okay, well now we're going, we know we're going to get more shots. We know we're going to be able to do some things. So that's what these guys are kind of looking for. Anyway, obviously they love having Giannis out there, but they know when their top dog goes down, that that's going to give everyone maybe two or three more shots, four more shots more, more for Middleton, more for Bledsoe, and then more for the role players. So I mean, obviously it keeps everyone. Uh, you know, you have to hold everyone accountable. But like Paul said, Miami has to come out with the mentality. They have to close this out, whether Giannis is playing or not, and, and get rested up for the Eastern Conference Finals. To that point, Jimmy Butler said in the postgame as well that they got comfortable. Yeah. And that's the thing that they yeah. can't do in any series, uh, let alone this particular yeah. series against a team like that. All right, here's what the jump recommends for today. Our Tim Bontemps wrote a piece on the Raptors, the defending champs. They've been counted out all season, but they're now two wins away from returning to the Eastern Conference Finals. Next, we'll discuss who should be favored in a now best of three series between those Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics. Stick around. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're going to sleep in the car now. Happy Geico-ween. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. The playoffs are back on ESPN Wednesday with a great doubleheader. Raptors-Celtics Game 6 kicked things off at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific, followed by the Clippers and Nuggets Game 4. Both games are also on ESPN Deportes and streaming live on the ESPN app. Welcome back to The Jump. Let's take a closer look at that Celtics-Raptors series with Game 5 coming up later today. After a red-hot start to the postseason, Boston has cooled off quite a bit. The Celtics shot just 20% from deep on Saturday, and the Raptors have tied this one up at 2-2. So, Paul, what's changed for Boston? I really don't think it's something that's changed about Boston. I think this is all about Toronto. I think that shot kind of demoralized them mm. for game four, man. I mean, you go for potentially 0.5 seconds of being up 3-0 and basically putting this series away to now it's 2-2. They got to mentally get back into it. Yep. Like, seriously, and now the Raptors got confidence. They like, look, we the defending champs. We about to get off the floor and get up swinging because we not going out like that. And 
if the Celtics don't get their psyche back, the defending champs are going to show why they're the defending champs, and they're going to take advantage of that because they got confidence now, and, and they feel like they can win this series, and, and they feel like they can get to the finals. I'm telling you. That shot did something to the Celtics' psyche. Let's see if they can bounce back today. I mean, I don't really have nothing to say. He said it exactly what <laughs> right. I was going to say. Sure. Like I said, I think there's a lingering hangover from game three. They gave him, gave him a little bit of hope in game four. Uh, shots don't fall. Stuff doesn't happen for them. And now it's a 2-2 game. So I think, I, I think they just have to get back to what got them there for Boston. Boston has been my sleeper pick the whole time. I still think they can beat them, although it's a game of momentum. And the Raptors obviously have momentum right now. But I need to see Tatum, Brown, and uh, Kemba being that 60-plus point range, uh, Marcus Smart be that wild card. But them just getting back to scrambling on defense, maybe not settling for so many shots, attacking the basket and making plays for each other. You mentioned Tatum and Brown in the two losses. They've uh, each been up and down, right, in those games. What are you seeing differently? Is it just them not hitting shots, or is Toronto doing something different? Uh, I mean, tr Toronto is tough. You can never take, uh, you know, never take away credit from them. Um, it's just a part of being young. You know what I mean? You got to stay consistent. That's that's what separates good players from great players for to superstars. You know, I think uh, Tatum has a chance to be a superstar. Brown is right there, um, but it's just that consistency that they need night in, night out, especially in the playoffs. Well, you got to understand, Toronto's been a top tier defensive team too all year long. And guess what? Siakam is is back mm -hmm. because he disappeared in them first yep. two three games. He did. I think he's got confidence. He was a guy that was huge for them in that championship run. Kyle Lowry must have got in his face and was like, look, big fella, we, we need you to step right. up. Yeah. You know, you're our anchor. He was an all-star this yeah. year. And I think he's found his rhythm. He's a defensive anchor. But I give credit to Kyle Lowry. You know, he's not putting up huge numbers. Lord what Jesus. I see him doing, he's setting the tone for Lord them General. every night. Yeah, both Every night. And they gain the confidence yeah. from that. And I think that, to uh, piggyback on what Paul said, uh, you know, Siakam last year was the second option. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So when yep. you're that first option and that that, that person, that, that every night that they're going to take away your, you know, your best two or three things, it, it takes a while. Especially, he may have seen it a little bit in the regular season, but in the playoffs when you have a series to adjust every night, he had to wake up and realize, like, it's more than just being, you know, Kawhi burdened all the pressure last year. Now, Siakam burdens all the pressure. But I think, like Paul said also, Kyle Lowry has done a great job of staying on top of guys, holding them accountable, and then just causing a havoc on both sides Man. of the ball. Yeah. And schematically, it feels like those first couple of games, there was a lot of Siakam isolation, right? Whereas now it feels like he's getting the ball in different spots and places he's more comfortable for right. sure. All right, so this is now a best of three series. The Celtics are a slight favorite to win tonight, but Matt, who do you trust more in this series from this point on, Boston mm. or Toronto? You said they were your yeah, sleeper picks. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to stray away from my team, uh, the, the team I picked, uh, which was the Celtics. But honestly, battle-tested, proven championship pedigree. It's hard to it's hard to go against the Raptors. Yeah, it's hard to go against the Raptors. Paul Pierce. The Celtics have had a couple deep playoff runs. The Raptors are the champs. Right. I think the Celtics are ready to get over this hump, and they knew. Coming in, this wasn't going to be easy. It's not easy to win in the NBA playoffs. They got to accept hard. And I think they finally accepted hard. They got punched back in the face. What they, did they do? They're going to they're gonna have that mentality today. All right, it's going to be hard. We're going to be ready for that tonight. And they're going to get over the hump. And they're gonna, and must they're win, win tonight? They must win tonight. Uh, yeah, game five is huge. Don't leave the winner This is the swing game. Go on to, yeah, we'll go Whoever on wins series, this so. is going to win the series. Uh-oh. Okay. Here we go. That's it. It's on there. Are we going to make a bet? Or is this the wrong show for that? But we can do that here, too, if you want, Paul. I can't bet against the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Both coaches have been riding their stars pretty hard in this series. The Raptors' three stars are all over 40 minutes a game if you look at the way this thing has sh shaken out here in this particular series. It's – is that a concern for any of you guys? No. Well, these teams so. lack depth. 
Right. <laughs> and so you, they, they rely heavily. Well, on, Boston, for sure. Well, definitely Boston. Yeah. Especially without having Gordon out there. They like the depth. So they rely heavily on their starters. And you can see them getting tired late in games. And so uh, this is going to be a game of now, wheels from the starters. Now's the time. Now's the time. I mean, they had some time off. Obviously, it's been a lot since they've been back in the bubble. And the way I look at it, too, is they're all young. you got to think when Paul and I first played, it was yeah. play as many minutes as you can and play every <laughs> right. single game all season. So obviously Fair the point. times have changed. But these are young kids. you got to go. Time, now it's time to go. Yeah, they'll be fine. Okay, we'll see tonight. Coming up, the Clippers came out with a dud in Game 2 versus the Nuggets. Are the Clippers good enough to just try to flip the switch in a series like this? We'll discuss that next. Stick around here on The Jump. GEICO presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and... <laughs> I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Jamal, what... What are you thinking about right now? I just want to win. Like I said, I play with the will to win. But when you fight for something, it means a whole lot more. Murray, inside, incredible! Welcome back to The Jump. Let's talk about that series, Clippers and Nuggets. The Clippers blew out Denver in Game 1, but in Game 2, they produced nearly as many turnovers, 17, as assists, 20. And they looked flat for most of the game. So, Matt, are the Clippers good enough to try to flip the switch whenever they choose to? Yes, I think they are. But I also think another thing plays into the factor is they've had key members in and out the whole entire season, including the bubble. So they really haven't had a consistent run with their core guys. This is a new team, you know what I mean? So as good as they've been, and a lot of people are picking them to win the championship, including myself, they still really haven't got that main consistency chemistry down with their main core guys. So I don't know if it's so much of flipping it on and off. It's just, I just think it's going to be a, a, a bumpy road to a championship for the Clippers. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be back and forth. There's going to be ups and downs. But I still think they're good enough uh, as players. And then I trust, I have the utmost trust in Doc to, you know, continuing to, to keep their pedal to the metal. Yeah, you know, when I look at the Clippers, it's, it's, it's been a story for them all year long. For stretches during the season, they look dominant, like they're going to win a chip, and then it looks like they're vulnerable. And that's what I saw in the last game versus Denver. I think they kind of play down to their opponent sometimes. They went out and dominated the Clippers in game one. They're like, and they probably thought after this they felt good, like this, this is going to be easy. And then they come out with a lackluster effort in game two. And Denver was ready for them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't expect them to be like that in game three. I think they're going to take it personal. I think that was a wake-up call for them. And I think they're going to go out and get the job done. I still think they'll win this series in five games because I think that game was a wake-up call. Like, look, Denver's not going to go away easy. So Clippers are the more talented team, believe. They got the more experience as far as deep playoff runs. And I think uh, they're going to do a good job at setting the tone in the next few games. And Kawhi had been pretty incredible in the bubble, particularly during the playoffs, and he just had an off night yeah, the other yeah, day. Yeah, you can't yeah. count on Kawhi scoring under 13 
for the rest of the time in the bubble. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he's been one of the most consistent, efficient players we've seen in the bubble, but period. Uh, so you can't bank on Kawhi only having 13 again. Do you think, though, that this is one of those things where you, you mentioned, Matt, them trying to get their chemistry. They're going to have to face another uh, a quality opponent next. Like, Denver is, I don't believe, is in their weight class necessarily, but the Rockets and Lakers are – you know, is the chemistry thing something to worry about moving forward? I don't know about worrying. I just think the more games they get, the better it's going to be. They just have to stay healthy because it's going to be next round is going to be a war. I, I figure it's going to be a battle of L.A. the next round, and uh, I can't wait to see that. But it, it's just, like I said, just keeping guys healthy and, and staying the course. Yeah, you can't let that be a thing, especially if you advance into the conference finals. Right. Because you, you no lose excuses. that key game. No excuses. To where you go down at 3-1, and it's a critical part. You talk about you still don't have the chemistry. It can cost you a championship, a chance at a yeah. championship. Yeah. So, you know, now is the time right. for you to turn it off. No matter what happened all year long, mm-hmm. now is the time to start figuring it out. And I know it's the bubble. You don't have home. You don't have your, your girlfriends, your wives, your kids are there or not there. Now is the time to figure this out. Yeah, there's not a lot of time left to uh, get that chemistry. All right, let's talk about Nikola Jokic, who dropped 26 points, 18 rebounds in Game 2, following the win, obviously, in Game 2 for the Nuggets. Uh, After that win, Jokic was asked why he's so patient on offense. He said this, get this, quote, I'm patient because I cannot really run all that fast. (laughs) Uh, That was pretty funny, though. So that's my only option, he said. Uh, he's been listed as questionable in Game 3 with a sprained right wrist. Paul, are you confident Jokic can continue to keep the pressure on the Clippers? Yeah, well, that's the one matchup they can take advantage of. When you look at all the matches around the board, you know, Jamal Murray, he got three guys that can guard him, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, you know, and a number, yeah, a number of guys. But when you look down low, I, there's nobody that can really match up with this big guy. Right. I mean, he's fundamentally sound. He can go inside, outside. And so, but the thing is, I'm not sure that he can do this every single night against a Clipper defense. And another thing, they're going to put him in pick and roll. And that's where the Clippers have advantage. He's not a great pick and roll, so they have to do a better job at picking up, picking on him more on the defensive end so he don't have that type of energy on the offensive end. Yeah, and I just think every night him and Murray have to be absolutely amazing for them to have a chance. And even if they are amazing, I still don't think they have enough to uh, advance in this round. But it's fun to see. This is one of the most skilled big guys we've seen in a long time, shooting one-footed jumpers inside, outside, can pass the ball, can score on the block against anybody. I just don't know if it's enough. And, and, And another thing is I don't know in today's game can your best player be your center. Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, before, that was that was an anchor for a championship. Right. This is a new age. Yeah, ask Philly. They're still yeah, trying to right. figure that out potentially, too. But Jokic looks like he's put on a little weight again. He doesn't look as skinny <laughs> as he as skinny Jokic looked that, early. But that I bubble think that, tin, he put the bubble tin on. Yeah, he might have put the bubble tin on. He does. Hey, listen, it's working for his game. There's no question. All right, coming up next, after Giannis rolled his ankle yesterday in Game 4, how should the Bucks handle his injury in Game 5? We'll discuss that after the break. Watching the jump. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're going to sleep in the car now. Happy Geico-ween. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. 
We've got a great WNBA doubleheader Tuesday night when the Lynx take on the Mystics, followed by the Fever taking on the Aces. And now, speaking of the WNBA, take a look at this great piece by Shelly Smith on the WNBA Moms of the Wubble. This is work-life balance for Candace Parker and the other WNBA moms living in the bubble, maintaining their roles as world-class athletes. A new career high for Bria Hartley. While wearing the many hats of a working parent. Some days you are a teacher, like Mystic's Tiana Hawkins. Others, a TikTok partner, like Parker. She was really excited about this season. It's really fun when you're able to kind of share your passion with your kids. For me, it was a pretty easy choice. It was just non-negotiable for him to come to the bubble with me this year. It was kind of given from the beginning that she'd come with me. I'm fortunate to have my mom. I knew if I made the decision to come down here that she'd be a part of it. Childcare in the bubble has been a team effort, even among opponents. Before leaving the bubble due to injury, Mercury guard Bria Hartley found help from Aces forward De'Ara Gahamby. Me and Bria spoke before the season. She was just like, hey, can we figure something out? Dierica has always been a big help for me. She immediately offered to help, and her mom's been great. And I was like, of course, like my mom will be here, so that won't really be a problem. And I, I just appreciate her friendship and her family and everyone that's been helping me. Oh. <laughs> Who's your favorite player? Our mom. Okay, go well, after me. <laughs> that's you the joy and laughter the children have created extends beyond the bubble, as the personalities and antics of some of the kids have gone viral. Playing and parenting certainly has been a juggling act, but seeing these women do it all is inspiring and motivating. They've made this more than a bubble. It's become a family affair. Gecko? That's great stuff. Shout out to all the WNBA moms and shout out to Holly Rowe who put that piece together for us. Welcome back to a Labor Day edition of The Jump. I'm George Sedano in for our fearless leader, Rachel Nichols, and we're socially distant here. Uh, Matt Barnes and Paul Pierce in the house in our L.A. studios. So it is crunch time, though, here on The Jump, gentlemen. Speaking of families inside the bubble, here's Denver coach Mike Malone from Friday. Take a listen. Today is day 60. All right, so we have been here. The, the guys that came down here on July 7th, and there weren't many of us because we were ravaged with COVID. This, for the original crew, this is day number 60. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because the players have their families here, which, which they deserve, which is the right thing to do. The referees are allowed to bring one guest, which is great for the referees. The coaches, the coaches are not allowed to bring anybody. I, I say, shame on you, NBA. This is crazy. I miss my family, and I think I speak for me. I speak for my coaches and probably all the coaches down here. 60 days and not having access and not being granted the privilege to have my family come here to me is criminal in nature, and that shouldn't be. Shouldn't be at all. So I wanted to get that off my chest. Matt, what did you make of what Coach Malone had to say? I think the bubble's been amazing. Hats off to the NBA for even allowing it and, and making it come true. But I think I agree with him. This is the one part that the bubble missed. You, there's not a reason that the NBA can tell him, me, any of us here, why coaches cannot have their families there. I think that's ridiculous. If, if players can have their families there, if refs can have a significant other there, 
for a coach not to be able to. Just there's no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> they said the referees could have one person, <laughs> but crazy. the head coach can't have anyone. That doesn't even sound right to me. Yeah. I mean, he's right. He's making the point about that. So, I mean, I don't know what the NBA is going to do going further, but yeah. he's absolutely right. Yeah, look, to Matt's point, the NBA's done a fantastic job with the bubble and clearly a glaring oversight here with the coaches, there's no doubt. Next, Rockets general manager Daryl Morey was asked about his top priority this offseason. He told USA Today that it was re-signing Mike D'Antoni being probably number one on his list. D'Antoni's currently on the final year of his contract. So, Paul, do you agree that it should be the top priority for the Rockets? Yeah, I do agree, and I'll tell you why. You know, maybe for the short term, because of the way the roster is constructed. I mean, they traded all that big man. Yeah, they have Tyson Chandler, who's, who's probably going to retire after this year or maybe two. But who else is going to coach a roster with all small guys and coach small <laughs> yeah, ball right. and say, give the right. ball to Harden and go right. shoot threes? Right. You know, most coaches that you're going to bring are going to have a new system, want big men, and I don't know how much they can do with this roster. Yeah, I mean, I... Is it the right move? Is it the first option? They, they haven't got over the hump. They haven't done what they obviously they ran into a dynasty with the Warriors and, and now they're running into a hungry uh, Laker championship contender. But they haven't taken that step that we all thought they would take with this type of ball. So is he the is he the is he the problem? Do they reconstruct their roster? I, I think they have a if they don't end up winning, they got low key mess over there. Let me ask you guys a quick question before we move on. And I love Daryl Morey. I think he's done a fantastic job, as you pointed out, Matt. They were one hamstring away yes. from potentially going to the NBA Finals. But will he be around to make that decision? Tough call. I mean, the, the analytics hit strong for a while, and now they're kind of coming back and, and, and asking human facts, which analytics don't provide. So his whole strategy of putting a team together, although it was revolutionary, I think they're somewhat going back to a little bit of, you know, character and how can they handle each uh, situations uh, under pressure. So will he be there? Well, well, this is the thing. If Daryl Morey's not there, <laughs> then you know the then coach. Dan Tony won't then Dan Tony won't right, be there. Right, Usually yeah. when you bring in a new GM, you want to bring in your own coach. So they both go hand in hand. All right, let's move on. Bucks coach Mike Budenholzer said that Giannis continues to get treatment on his right ankle that he suffered in the second quarter of Game 4 Sunday. But he wouldn't make the call on whether he'll play in Tuesday's Game 5. That was Budenholzer today. He said the decision will ultimately come down to the training staff's evaluation and the collective decision of the organization. So, Paul, how should Milwaukee handle this injury given the fact that they're down 3-1? to one? Uh, I'm not so sure. Being that Milwaukee's a favorite, he's the MVP, and he feels the pressure. You know, to not be there as an MVP, to not be there for your team, uh, knowing that you have this injury, but you can understand there could be a long-term effect mm. to this. I think it has to be up to the player and the training staff. I think they have to come to a mutual agreement. They have to see some things that he's doing on the court. Uh, if he's very, very limited, then why take a chance on the long-range long range future uh, of a possibly two-time MVP? Mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this is a tough situation. Uh, obviously, down 3-1. You know he wants to be out there as a competitor. But then I, I, I bring up to someone in the past that we both played against Grant Hill. And you don't right. want these lingering ankle injuries. You don't want to sprain this same ankle a third time and possibly have to have surgery because once they go in, they're going to have to go back in. So as much as everyone, this is the MVP, we want to see him out there. Like Paul said, I think it's really up to Giannis and we can move and, and handle what, t what comes with the playoff game. Coincidentally, I believe, if I recall correctly, Grant Hill hurt that ankle against Miami in a series back then Played as well. Um, but let me ask you this, as far as Giannis is concerned and the organization and everything, considering that he may 
only be under contract for one more season. There's, it's possible he doesn't sign uh, an extension here this offseason. How does that factor in, Matt? It doesn't. I think, obviously, they're going to max him in, in hoping and thinking he's coming back, but that, the, the, it's going to be up to Giannis. I don't see them getting out of this series. Is there a championship hope? Really there? I don't know. Does he jump ship? I think everything falls to Giannis. Obviously, Milwaukee would like to err on the side of caution and plan on him signing this long-term extension. Well, I think Milwaukee, you know, despite how this year is going to turn out, which they might most likely not going to advance, if he doesn't sign an extension this summer, they, I don't panic. What they have to do is find a hawk and get him more help right. to encourage him to do that. Right. Stay. And so yep. he could just be like, say, I'm not going to sign this year, but that doesn't push the panic button to trade him. Let's see how much more help we can get. If we can't, then we got to start a it's rebuild. It's hard to get help there, too. <laughs> yeah. I think that's Milwaukee's small market. It's hard to get top free agents. So, I mean, does, does, does he want to jump to a bigger market and become a bigger star? Yeah, not going to be easy. That's it for The Jump. We'll be back on ESPN2 on Wednesday at 3 Eastern. Before we go, want to thank Everyone, and have a happy Labor Day, especially our essential workers. Have a great day. Mom, I think this doll I found in the attic is cursed. No, its eyes are just very lifelike. Then why does its head keep spinning? Be my friend forever. Oh, that is scary. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's easy-to-use mobile app. You can manage your Geico policy whenever, wherever, wherever. Let's play with another doll. Or we can just bury it deep in the ground. Happy Geico-ween. Download the industry-leading Geico app today.